Oh, I didn't know I was being filmed giving my testimony. <clears throat> but concerning that was that same day, early that morning, Pastor Kevin and I were talking with each other, and I was telling him <clears throat> that I have trouble communicating with other people and sharing my testimony with others and, and all that sort of thing. And so we talked a little bit, and Kevin prayed for me about this. Later that same day, at our carnival outreach, I had an opportunity to share my testimony with a local Ugandan pastor about how God delivered me from my alcoholism. And even later that same afternoon, that same Ugandan pastor was the one on stage preaching about how the woman had stopped the flow of blood when the woman reached out to him. And then he turned to me and said, <clears throat> that I was a man that had a flow of alcohol stopped on me because of God. And right after I'd shared my testimony, he, the Uganda pastor asked if there was any in this huge audience, there was over several hundred people there, asked if there was anyone with the same problem that I had, and there was one man that raised his hand, and they asked him to come up on stage, and they asked me to pray for him. <laughs> can't do that without tears. <laughs> I prayed for him, and he was getting teary-eyed at the end of the prayer, and so we just hugged each other, and both of us cried. <laughs> and pastor, the Uganda pastor then took over, and that man accepted Christ right there, right there on stage. Oh, but this is a living example for me of how God answered my prayer from earlier that morning. And this experience proved to me that God can use me and my life is not my own. And I would like to share one little short story because it touched my heart. <clears throat> they broke our team, which is 16, broke us into groups of two. And each of... Each of our little groups were going to have four kids of the orphanage assigned to us so there could be an interchange, you know, talk with each other, pray with each other, play games, do something to have interaction between us. And our first evening, <clears throat> we only had an hour in the evening to do this. It wasn't like we had a lot of time during the day where we could prepare and learn the language and all that stuff. So I had great trouble with that. So our first evening there, Kevin, our leader in my group, <clears throat> we had four little students out there, age range, probably seven to nine. And he thought, okay, we'll start this out by just asking you what you just absolutely like the best in this world. And the first two said life. These are grade school kids. That is not something I would expect out of grade school kids here. And the other was too shy to say anything. And the other young man said, beef. <laughs> we think that's funny. We have that any time we want. But he loved beef, and they hardly ever have beef in their diet. So that was something that he really liked and hoped that he would get more of. But you guys have just changed my life forever by helping me to go on this Uganda team and, and help, help the others and 
and what little there was to get acquainted with the kids. They have just, oh, I didn't tell you, the, the little girl that was there. Oh, we were going to walk off. I lost myself. See, it takes so much time. <clears throat> Bill came up and said, well, why don't we take a tour of the village? <clears throat> so we all agreed that would be a good idea. So the little kids and we started walking out towards his banana patch that was just on the other side of the volleyball court. And as we started to walk away, one of the little girls came up from behind me and took me by the hand. And I was surprised and looked down at her, and she just smiled, and she says, I like your voice. <laughs> she just jumped right in my heart at that time, and she held my hand through the whole tour, through the, the whole village. And the other little girl took Keith's hand, <clears throat> and they were walking in front of us, and the little girl bent down and was picking up, you know, like they always do, pick something off of the ground. <clears throat> and Keith says, what do you got there? And she was pulling legs off of her cricket. Oh, great. So she walks with this little cricket in her hand for, I don't know, a few more steps, and Keith looks over and he says, what are you going to do with that cricket? She looked at him and says, eat him. <laughs> and in her mouth, he <laughs> just thought I'd share that. Thank you. <laughs> because we could we knew a lot of those kids on the pictures and all the situations it was really nice to be able to see them again we took a lot of pictures but we didn't get time to put it on a video so we're just going to talk and share and share some of our experiences tonight this podium could be down about a foot <laughs> i'm going to sit on the chair here. anyway <clears throat> been about five months ago that uh, the Lord uh, called us to go to Uganda. We started out and from Portland at, at 1.30 p.m., we arrived, uh, that was on Friday, we arrived in Uganda at 11.30 p.m. on, on Saturday. So we had a, a long 22-hour trip, we were on the, on, in, in flight. And we got there late, and by the time we met with the kids and everything that night, got to bed, it was late. But anyway, we got to get up on Sunday morning and, and go to, to church and hear our son preach. And you heard him on this, on this tape. That was our son that was preaching with the Bible in his hand. And so we got to, we got to hear, him, hear him teach. And we also, they had a fabulous worship team. The kids that they had there were nothing compared with the with the grown-ups that they had. I mean, they used to, they would dance and sing, and and I mean, it just you talk about a joyful noise unto the Lord. They were they really made a joyful noise unto the Lord. But it was a great time there, just for us, just getting to hear our son son teach. For it had been a long time since we heard that. On well, Monday morning, then our life started there at, at the, the the Agape Children's Village. And Bill always had devotions with the with the workers at seven o'clock every morning, 
And so we told them well, we would we would come and be there with them, so we could we could just share. And what they did was they had they would we'd take hot water up there, and they would have African tea, which would, for them as they would make black tea with with milk and sugar, and and then they would take take a slice of bread and put butter on it and slap it together and cut it in four pieces. And they'd take their plate and go sit down with their Bible, and but their their African tea was was mostly milk and sugar. But, <laughs> Anyway, I like this just the black tea, but anyway, that was our routine for from then on for we would get up at uh, well, I should say after after that one that Monday, Bill turned the, that devotion time over to us. And so from then on our, our routine was we'd get up at 5 a.m. so we would, we'd, we could be able to have time to have our own devotions to read and to pray before we started out our day. And then it, uh, while Loretta was getting ready, I would I would uh, Go, go over to Bill's house and pick up the, the, the pump pot of hot water and, and a loaf of bread and, and the butter or sugar, whatever else we needed for them to, for them to have their, their African tea and bread that day. And then we'd head up there to, and we'd all meet there at seven o'clock till usually till eight o'clock. And we would, we had this year Bible that we used and we had, we'd uh, used one chapter of, in, in the New Testament and one chapter in, in Psalms and and a couple of proverbs that we would do every day. That was what, what we uh, read and talked about. And it was very interesting to see these people that we couldn't understand them a, a lot. So we had, I had an uh, interpreter that sat beside me. Her name was Monica. She was the church secretary. And she would sit there and, and tell them what I said. And so I would talk and she would repeat it in, in Ugandan. Then she would repeat what they said back to me in English. So we could understand each other, and that's the way the way we talked. So after that time, that was a, such a blessing to be able to be there with them for that hour every day, and we did that for three months. Every well, five days a week actually we did that, and then on on Saturdays and Sundays, well, they had we had uh, other things that we did, but besides, then we'd go to church. But anyway, after we'd get home at eight o'clock, then our workday started, and Loretta got it. Bill assigned it her to, to painting and to scraping all the windows. We'd had teams there in the past that had, had done some painting, but they had they had put tape on the windows and hadn't taken it off. So we had to go over it with, with paint thinner and tea so we could get the paint loose so we could scrape it off. And then Loretta painted all the frames around the windows, and then I helped her by holding the ladder at times when she had to get up high where she didn't feel safe. So I would sit on the bottom of the ladder while she, she did whatever she needed to do up there. That's a miserable job. And then, then we Bill always had things for me to fix. Like we had, I fixed the 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 kids. They they didn't have mosquito nets on all the beds, so I made poles and whatever it took so I could hang mosquito nets on their beds. And then uh, also, I, they their a lot of their curtains were missing out of the rooms, so I made curtain rods and hung all the curtains back up where they belonged. Then one day, Bill come in to me and he says, "Dad, come out here. I want I got to show you something." So I went outside and there was this tree about all by itself. It's about 10 feet tall. And he says, you suppose you could build a cage over that tree so, so Nick could keep his chameleons. He says he, could, he likes the chameleons, but they always get away from him. So I was wondering if you could build him a cage to keep them in. So I built a nine foot cage, nine foot wide, nine foot long, nine foot tall over the top of that tree and covered it with chicken wire. So that and they put a door in the side so he could get in and out with his chameleons. And it was interesting because those people thought before Bill, before Nick got there, they thought chameleons were poisonous. 
And you would bring a chameleon around them and they would just, they would just, right. just stand up and back away. Like the preacher that you talk about, Michael and his wife, Christine, they were there one day when Nick brought in his chameleon and he started walking in. They were sitting on the couch and they just started backing up. <laughs> and, and Bill says, no, there's nothing, or Nick says, there's nothing wrong with that chameleon. He was showing it, holding his hand and he would hold it and he'd reach his tongue out and grab a fly. And, so, but, the, but they still wasn't too, too, concern, uh, too happy with it. Anyway, a lot of our time consisted of washing dishes and holding six children when we, because everybody, every child there had malaria and at different times they would, they would come back on them and they would, we'd have to take them down to the, to the uh, clinic or, or uh, they would just be, have to take off a day from school or whatever it took to get over it. In afternoons, by noon, it got really hot there. And so usually by in the afternoons, it was too hot. So we would, we'd always take our nap and then we would we would uh, work out in, in in our building there where we where we lived, and we'd sew sew and mend and and uh, fix backpacks. And I was amazed at these kids because the backpack that they got were were supplied from the school. Instead of wearing it, they'd walk around street swinging it on their finger like this. And I was wonder the wonder why they they the, the straps wouldn't hold. But that's that's what happened to them as they would as they would do that they would they would rip the straps off. So that's what we spent a lot of our time sewing their clothes and, and mending and, and fixing backpacks, among other things that needed to be fixed. One of the things I did in the afternoon was I tutored kids from my old teaching years, and it was uh, really amazing. I, I would like to share a little bit also about the schools that they had there. We visited the schools, and it's, uh, it's hard to even describe. I could just tell you stories about what happened with, about the schools. And the kids that I tutored, they were, I had one 10-year-old boy that was just an awesome young man, but he could not read, but he liked to draw. And I got him interested in just looking at pictures and then drawing pictures, and he would come every afternoon. I don't know if he wanted to learn, but he wanted to draw, and I had paper and pencil and crayons out there for him. Neat little boy, I'll always remember, Julius was his name. And though they were older, 14 and 15-year-olds, a lot of them did not know the basic alphabet. Couldn't read a reader. Or the sounds. And, okay, where do you start? You start with the alphabet. And many of them, I had to, after three months, the principal of the school said, well, at least they all knew their alphabets and they knew their sounds. So I guess we, I did something worthwhile. I wish I could have stayed there longer to help them. Um, but we, I did that usually every afternoon from about 3 to 5. Then we'd go have a devotion with the kids at 6. At 6.30, we'd have supper. And we ate supper with the children and the workers. And we had a very, very neat cook by the name of Olivia. Yeah, so Olivia was a... I always call, told her she was the hardest working woman in the whole wide world because she would, her day started at seven o'clock. She would come to devotions and then at eight o'clock she would go down to the, down to the, to the compound and she would start out her, her, her cooking and, and her cooking all was done outside. She had, had these three rocks set up and then she had this big pot that she would set over it. And no matter what she cooked, whether it was beans or matoki or, or sweet potatoes or, or, or the, with the thing that she made with the beef, and rice, and, and then she had a little building there where it had a stove on the inside of it. it this one had been formed, and it was uh, made out of bricks and, and ceramic stuff in it. So it, 
the day it was the same thing, she she set this big pot on it, and the way she'd do, she'd we'd uh, they would, Bill would order in a load of, of poles, and she would get these poles was about this big around and maybe 15, 20 feet long, and she'd gather up some of them poles. She'd get her fire started, and then she'd start shoving them in. And as she, as, the, as they burnt, she'd just shove it in a little bit further. She'd just keep shoving them in, and then. But the the thing is, she also washed all the clothes for this compound. So except for the kids, that the little kids that went to school had to wash their own every day, but she did everybody else's. And so she would get started with, get her, her basic things started for her meal that she was going to cook that day. And then she'd start washing clothes. I mean, and she would scrub and scrub and scrub. And everything I had come out really white, but she stretched it out two sizes. I told Loretta, I think you and I both could get it in my underwear. <laughs> because she would stretch it out. But, but, but she walked... Every, every day she walked about a, a mile or more from her house, which is a very, we have a picture of her house there. It's a typical house. Uh, but it was just a, it was a, a, I don't think it had a door on it. It had a curtain on it. It was just a, like a one-room house. And she had two children besides. And, she, I mean, she would walk rain or shine. She would come in in the morning when I would be sitting there when the rain waiting for them to all show up. And she would come in soaking wet. And, but she would come anyway. And, and that house of hers was something else. I couldn't believe that shack that she lived in. We have a picture of her afterwards. Come and look at those pictures of her cooking the food. And you'll see how her, her big pot was set on the rocks. And then the house right beside that was her home. But the neatest lady, and we just learned to truly love her. What did we eat? What did she fix? We ate whatever the kids ate, which was very unique sometimes. But we decided if we were going to experience the Ugandan life, we were going to live with the kids and <coughs> do what the kids did. And that's basically what we did. Uh, we ate a lot of rice and beans. We ate a lot of matoki. And there's a picture of a matoki there, tree there. And it was amazing the way she would cook this matoki. It looks like a big green banana. And she'd co go cut off matoki leaves. And her pots were, you know, big pots. She'd line the pot with a matoki leaf, uh, peel the matoki, lay them in there, cover it again with matoki leaves, and then cook it for several hours. And, and then steam, steam it. it. Did I like matoki? I learned to eat it because you're hungry, you know. <laughs> wasn't one of my favorite things. Salt and pepper and ketchup made it pretty good. <laughs> But they had, I was amazed at the way these ladies could season the food. I, you know, it was just, I got the recipe, but I tried some and it doesn't taste the same. But basically, I mean, you can ask more about the food later if you'd like. Rice and beans, matoki, sweet potatoes. They did kind of a stir fry with cabbage and onions and tomatoes. A lot of green peppers they used. One of the things we did learn to love was our pineapple. It's just Awesome. I've never tasted pineapple. Growing fresh it. there. They grow it right there. Uh, they talked about the meat, the kids loving meat. We, we were lucky if we had meat twice a week. And that was on Tuesdays. We got a, she would make kind of a chicken soup that she'd serve over rice. And it's, it was, the flavor was excellent, but you got just a little piece of chicken. And on Sundays, we had rice with kind of a beef soup. And that was a very poor grade of beef. Yeah, some I know was ribs because of the bone that was in yeah. it. <laughs> so we just, it's amazing we learned to live without meat. And uh, we've survived. <laughs> We're still here. <laughs> I lost 10 pounds. <laughs> I uh, talked about the schools a little bit. Uh, 
one of the things that we went and visited the school, and I was just in awe of the fact. I have some, we have some pictures of schools here. The classrooms are very crowded. There's a school bell that they use just at, she, when she bang a rock on that. Just bell. A, they're just the rim of a wheel. wheel. They bang on it with a rock. This but, is the sum total of the books the kids had in the school. One for each subject. One for each subject, and they would write in it. The teacher would write everything on the blackboard, not a book to be read. And when I tutored the kids, I realized that some of the, the Bill and Danielle had a few books to look at for kids to look at or to read. And I said, can I bring those into our room? So I brought them into the room and I would let the, I mean, 14 and 15 year old kids had never held a book with pictures in in their hand. Can you imagine that? I just can't, it just drove me nuts to think that these kids had no more than this. And it got to be, a, wasn't too long after that, they, the kids found out I had books in, the, in our living area. So they'd come up to the door and knock at the door, books, and I'd say, okay. I let them come in a, a, a time or two just with that, and then I said, okay, now would you say, would you please, may I please look at some books? And they'd say it, and they'd smile and feel so good about it. I said, yes, you may, and they'd say, thank you. I'd tell them, say, thank you. And little by little, they began to, we'd hear a knock at the door, and they wanted to come look at books. And they don't, you know, they've never handled books, so they were kind of throwing them around. I says, no, I taught, we taught them, practice too, to put them back, how to handle a book. And before long, I could have 10, 12 kids in there looking at those books, and they would look for hours. They were just so intrigued with a real book with pictures. And we take so many things for granted. They didn't know what a little red wagon was. Or uh, uh, they know what a soccer ball is, but they don't know what a basketball is. They don't know the difference. Baseball bat, they didn't quite understand. A lot of the animals that we take for granted, they didn't know what the names of them were. I mean, it's just a different world, just a real different world. Anyway, the schools were very crowded. Uh, one of the, th oh, the, th the schools are not free. If you have money, your children go to school. If you don't have money, they don't go to school, which is really sad. And when the principal came home one afternoon and she was in tears. She had to send 20 children home because they didn't have the fee to pay for their schools. And they have to have uh, uniforms also. So, and if they don't have the uniform, they just don't go or don't come that day. And the schools are really in, uh, you know, I just, I speak about, oh, uh, the, Frank's pointing out to me the children at the village were really the fortunate ones because they all had sponsors who get sent money that would pay for their school and their tuition. And their uniforms. And their uniforms. And the, but the ones outside the school don't. Have, if they don't have the money, they don't get to go. And one of the pictures I have here is with Moses. Mm. I fell in love with Moses. If I could, I would adopt him. He had alcoholic parents. He was always hungry, and he didn't have, his clothes were in rags. He brought me a whole sack of clothes once. Uh, oh, he, he tore a shirt, and I said, do you want me to fix that? And he said, yes. So he gave me the shirt. I said, do you have anything else you want fixed? And then the next day, he brought me a sack of old, <laughs> torn clothes. I fixed it all up and washed it and gave it back to him. But he is not part of the village, and I just fell in love with him. 
when he'd meet us, he spoke very poor English, but he'd say, hello, friend, uh, how, what did he say? Hello, my friend, is what he'd say. Hello, my friend, and give us and a I hug. couldn't speak much. Uh, uh, Bill and Danielle sponsor him now so that he can at least go to school and he can get something to eat. Because that's something else, the story about how the, the school kids got food was... That, that's something else, but we could go on for hours, and you don't have that many hours. Let's go on with the, the rest. If you want to, I'll talk, we'll stay afterwards and talk more about it. One thing that was amazing, there was a transportation. They had what they called Boda Bodas, which was a 100cc motorcycle. And you wouldn't believe what they would haul on that motorcycle. I mean, you'd see him going down the road with the guy that was in controls would have a little kid sitting in front of him and three people sitting behind him on the seats. I mean, and they would just go all over the place. And then the, they, had, they had taxis, which was a little Toyota van with, that held 18 people. And between these two, they, between the Boda Bodas and those taxis, you wanted to watch out because, because none of them cared about anything. They just, they would, they would do anything to get to go where they wanted to go to take their place in traffic, and they didn't care about anything. And but that night we went to the airport. I mean, we got stuck in traffic, and and these Boda Bodas and 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 the, the taxis were just all around us like we weren't even there. But they, they, and then one of the pictures we have here is their, their car wash where they'd take the, they had a, another one just like it. This one was for the Boda Bodas where they would take them down like in a ditch and, it, and wash them and throw water over them and soap and water and get them clean. And then they had a place like that they would do with that same thing with cars. They would, they would drive them down in there or either that or Bill would have the, a couple kids that would wash his, his uh, little blue car that there was a picture of there. And they would take it down in the backyard, and they would take pans and start throwing water over it. And then they'd get a pan with soap and water, and they'd wash it off, and then they'd throw water over it, and they'd just keep doing that until they got it clean. But uh, uh, one thing there, you know, when you go to when you come to church here on Sunday morning, you usually see quite a few cars, or sometimes you even have a can't find a parking spot out here in front. Well, not so there. You would come out of church, and there would maybe be three boda bodas and one car, and most of the time it was three boda bodas and no cars because everybody walked. That's the only way they got anywhere is they walked. And some of them would walk quite a ways to church. And some of them would come because our compound there that was, was fenced and it had gates in front and gates in back. So on Sunday, there was people that lived down below the compound. Our gatekeeper would go down there and unlock that gate and let those people in so they, could, they would walk across the compound up to church. And then, then he would lock, it back, lock the whole compound back up till church was out, and then they would open it back up because... Over the, the years, they found that before they, they got the fence, it all uh, fenced in, that they had trouble with thievery and stuff in that compound, so they got it fenced in so they could control it. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about the clinic. Um, there are so many diseases there, but the worst is malaria, and it's just rampant. And I've, I'm sure every child there, while we were there, was had come down with malaria, and it keeps coming back on you over and over and over again. One, uh, those, there's a picture of two little girls here, Shaggy and Halima. They are the two youngest ones in the village. And both of them have had, had malaria with, while we were there. And Halima was so very, very sick. Grandpa here held her for two days, basically, just to, to make sure, you know, just to comfort her. And it was just so sad to see those kids so sick. And the, they would take them down to the clinic, 
and it was just a little bitty 10 by 10 room with a big wall with a lot of different medication on it. And as a big window uh, between the sh waiting room was just one little bench like that. And the nurse would come out and diagnose the disease and give them the medication. But if they had malaria and were ri running a really high fever, there was a room in the back that with four beds. And they would put an IV drip on them. And several of the children stayed there quite often for several nights till they would get better. But malaria is not good, and we I, we took our malaria pills faithfully. And we We're still, still taking them. Still are. They say you have a month till you come back. Uh, I, you can you want to talk about the Living Model uh, Project? Don, Don got in on helping to build the, the latest. Uh, part of the Living Water Project, but while we were there, they, they'd had a, had a heart for getting a, a clean water to the neighborhood like they showed, but before the team came, they, when we first got there, they had this bunch of people that had volunteered or they had hired to dig, dig these trenches, and they dug trenches in, in three different directions away from that main, that main tank that set up on the hill by the church. And they went down there and they had, as, as Don showed on his picture, they showed this, this what I call a head gate where they had, the, they had this all cemented in and they had three faucets on there and the people could come get water. Well, they, they had, when they had the, the ribbon breaking ceremony that day, then they had the people that wanted to get water, they needed to come in and sign up. So what they did, they, they would come sign up and they would, give them, they would give them a little certificate to show that they had signed up for the water. And then every day, every afternoon, on, on six days a week, they could come at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. From 3 till 6, they would open up the head gates, and then would, they would let anybody have, have uh, uh, two uh, five-gallon buckets of water, and they would get that every day. And then, and then at 6 o'clock, they would shut it off and lock it up because they had a lot of problems with thievery in that, in that place. There was people that had ideas about that they said, well, well, we'll just hook onto your water project, and we'll rent it over to our house. And so they fixed it so they couldn't. But anyway, and then when, when the, the team from Southeast came, they, they paid to have a new pump put in on the well. So it, it doubled their, their capacity of how much water it would put out. So Bill was hoping that if they got that and that fourth station in, that maybe they wouldn't have to keep it locked all the time, that they could just let people come and get water, and, and they would just have a, the guys that, that would oversee that part would just be there to, to make sure that everybody, you know, nobody was cheating or bringing a truck and filling it with water or something, you know, to haul it off. So they would, but they were hoping with this new pump that they would be, would have a, have a better water project. But we were there the day that, like I said, they had the, the cutting, uh, ribbon cutting ceremonies, and they had people, government people there from the from around the, the neighborhood there that came and, and talked about it and, and uh, uh, thanked the church for what, the, 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 for what they did for the, the community and how this was such a blessing to them and that, that they would be able to have clean water because before that you would see these poor people out along the road, there would be a puddle where the water, I don't know where it came from, but they would be down there dipping that out and putting it in their buckets. And then they would take it home and somehow try to try to uh, clean it out so it so it was drinkable. As we were thinking about how do we put this all together, you know, how do you tell three months of living in an area in in 20 minutes and we're running way over? I hope you guys don't mind. Uh, we didn't really do anything outstanding, but we did. Uh, we went there just wanting to help. That when the team was there, there was. 
I don't think I've washed that many dishes in my life as Frank and I both did while they were there. At least three times a day. Uh, just we just did whatever was needed to be do to be done. Holding sick children, we wanted to go and just spend some time with our kids for one, Natalie and Nicholas, and uh, just experience the African and Ugandan life. And somebody asked us, asked me before we left, what was the most rewarding experience that you had here? And I thought, the people we met, the kids we met, that's what was marvelous. At first, when we got there, we were going to our, our, devotion, our devotional group with, the, with them, and it was all just like a sea of black faces, and like, how will I ever get to know all these people or all the kids? And little by little, those faces became real people, real people that needed love, that cared, that, that especially the kids that reached out to you. Uh, the older ones in our devotion, we, we got to be such good friends with them that I'll never, ever forget some of those dear people. It's amazing how when you sit around a table or you sit in chairs and you share the Bible, and you laugh, and you talk together, even though we couldn't understand each other. It got to the point where we could almost communicate with hand signs, you know? And we got so close with some of them. When you, when you sit around and share Jesus, it builds a bond that can never be broken. I will always remember some of those dear people. Um, you want to talk about Laban and Olivia? Now, one thing is, I never, I forgot to say at the beginning was when, when Bill talked to us about coming, I told him, well, we, we would like to come, but we don't want to be tourists. We want to work. We want, you, you got to have something for us to do. And he said, well, you don't have to worry. He said, there's plenty here for you to do. So we, we went under, the, under that, here I forgot some pictures that I didn't get out there. But anyway, so that, that's what we got. And then when, well, I was really tickled when he gave us that job to do every morning to take over the devotions because that really gave us something to do. And it really gave us, drew us into, the, into their lives because we talked about Jesus and, and what they meant. And these people would share with us in their broken English what Jesus meant to them and how, how he had dealt with them in their everyday lives is what was going on in their lives. And it just, like Loretta said, it really made a bond that, that uh, we'll never forget about these different people. And... And uh, Laban was one of them, the, the the workers that that he did did a lot of digging in the gardens, and he they and he they would uh, bring in truckloads of cow manure, and he would uh, haul them in a wheelbarrow out and scatter them around the matoki trees for fertilizer, and uh, the different places that they need. And then again, had Olivia was which was one of my favorite people there that that I always call her. She every morning she'd come in and I'd give her a hug and I'd say, "There's that hardworking lady again." And, and she would just laugh, and she had a very infectious laugh that, when that she would, uh, when she would laugh, and, and just everybody else would laugh along with her. Uh, one of my favorite people was Edward. If I could, I'd bring him home with me. I just fell in love with him. He was about 22 years old. He was the gatekeeper and the goat keeper, and there's a picture of this guy with the goat. That was Edward. And when we first got there, the terrain was very rocky, and we were so concerned about falling because one of the women from one of the teams earlier had fallen and broken an ankle very badly. And so we just found a couple of old sticks, and we were walking with these sticks. 
So a couple, about a week later, Edward comes and gives us each one of these canes, and they became our walking sticks there at the village for a long time. And Edward was a goat keeper, and he had a mother goat that was very, very pregnant. And I said, I was able to convey to him, when she has her babies, will you come and tell me about it? Because we love animals. So early ones, I think it was on a Saturday morning, probably about 7 o'clock, we get a knock at the door, and Edward's standing there with two baby goats. And they were just the cutest little things in the, in the world. We watched them all the time. Um, just a neat young kid. He was very much in a, a part of our devotional time. He asked so many questions, and he, didn't, he spoke very broken English, if at all, but little by little, after three months, we were able to communicate with him real well. And then we had Monica, was, which was the church secretary, and she was our translator a lot of times. And when sometimes something had happened to her, she'd get sicker, and then I would, I would recruit one of the other people, because we had other people there that could, that could speak just as well, but they didn't, wouldn't step forward unless I asked. And then, then they, would, they would do, uh, like, uh, uh, William and... and uh, Ronald were both, uh, they were uh, g good good at speaking Ugandan, plus uh, they would uh, read, out of, read out of the English Bible, and, and, and then they would then we would translate into, into Ugandan, and as we talked, we'd, we'd just, because there's some that I, that couldn't, we couldn't communicate with all, with, at all, without that, uh, that uh, interpreter. interpreter there. Naboth and Candace. Candace was one of the other teachers there. Naboth and her, she was the, the took care of the girls' house. Took care of the girls' house, and Naboth took care of the boys' house. And they were engaged. They were courting, and they are planning to get married uh, sometime in December. Yeah, we got to have those canes. Uh, so they were very, very neat young people. We really enjoyed meeting them. There were four young boys that were college, you know, they called universities there, not college. And I, they were very neat people. Junior was a young man that Bill and Danielle took into their home. His mother had passed away and his father was very sick and the, the father brought him to uh, the orphanage one day and said, I can't take care of Junior, can you keep him? Well, they didn't have room in any of the other houses for him, so Bill and Daniel, Danielle took him into their house. And very, very nice young man. I just, just had spent a lot of time visiting with him. Robert was an awesome artist. He sent this one, gave me, us this one a letter that he sent home with us. And he wrote, uh, wrote all the signs and everything. And just a neat young man. Uh, Ronald was about 22 years old. He was studying for the ministry or to go into some church work. And he did a lot of interpreting for us and he played guitar a lot with the kids. The kids loved praise to sing team. with them or with the praise team. Bali was another young man that was at the university. I was very impressed with him. He was a top student in his class and he was fortunate enough to have sponsors that were going to send him all the way through uh, medical, medical school. school, which is really a blessing. And he was, he visited with us one afternoon in our room, and what a neat young man. Uh, I, I just look forward to seeing, you know, his name in <laughs> Dr. Bali someday. <laughs> uh, Penny 
the little gal that washed dishes in the kitchen. She would come over on Saturdays. She just liked to come over and work in the compound. And her and I spent a lot of time washing dishes. And the last day we left, she was crying and crying. She says, I don't want you to go. And a uh, neat young gal. Then Bill and Danielle had four boys in their home. Yeah, they had these boys that they, well, some of them, they, they would bring him off the streets. And there was Nixon and George and Isaac and Daniel. Isaac was the one that you saw that was crippled, that was walking on his knees, that had his deformed hands, his two hands. All he had was these two fingers like this. And then his, his legs were so, so deformed that they were, his feet were, were good, but they were, the bones weren't right. And so they were kind of grafted together and just kind of really crooked. And so that's the way he would walk. But that kid, he was amazing. I mean, to me, I've never, ever seen a kid that was, was as bad a shape as he was, that was as happy as he was, and there was nothing that he wouldn't try or nothing that he couldn't do. You watch him play cards and deal. I mean, it, it was something else to just watch the way he, way he would deal, deal cards. The only thing is you want to watch him because he liked to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> you were playing cards, he liked to stick one underneath him. When you had, if he had to run out of cards, he would kind of stick his underneath the pile to get rid of him so he could, he could win. He loved to win. Daniel, I have to laugh at him because he was such a cute kid, but he lost his two front teeth while we were there. <laughs> Honestly, they played rough. They were tough little guys. Shaggy and Halima, those two little girls. Yeah, well, Sh Shaggy was, uh, they were both uh, three and four, and they were just the cutest little things. We got pictures of them, but, but Halima was, it's interesting that, that while we were there, we were, hadn't been there but a couple days, and her grandmother and her father brought her to the orphanage, mm -hmm. and they left her, and they walked off and just left her because they, they couldn't take care of her. And talk about a sad little person. I mean, I, I really couldn't blame her for what happened to her. But anyway, with with uh, Candace and, and Shaggy, they they kind of well. Of course, uh, Candace was the lady that was in charge of the girls, so she took charge of her. But between her and Shaggy, they they brought her out of this doldrum that she was in of of losing her parents or losing her home. And she had a new home where where she was actually better off than she was before. And, and she when when we left, she was the happiest little girl you ever saw in your life. She was. She was just such a joy to be around. If I could have got by, I would have stuck her in my suitcase and brought her home, but I don't think they would let me pass the check-in place. And they already told you about Moses, so I think we are almost done. One of the things we want to share with you is... Now Bill has a new vision that God gave him. He's, he's leaving the Uganda children's... Uh, the uh, Agape. Agape children's thing, and they're, they're bringing in a new team to take over. Well, Bill has a new <clears throat> new vision. It's called Uganda Kids Project. And they bought some land there, and they built a new building, which is going to be the office where they're going to work out of the, around that. They, they sent out teams, <clears throat> evangelism teams, and they found 60 families around that area, around that compound that are out in the countryside that uh, need help very badly because they, they don't have any money to do take their, well, well, the biggest thing is they don't have money to send their kids to school. They have problems with their food, and they just, they just need, need help. So with this Uganda Kids Project, they're, they're gonna, they're, he's going to come back to the U.S., and he's, you know, I don't know if you know or not, but my son traveled the U.S. for three and a half years, uh, taking Jesus to the United States. And there's a lot of congregations that he visited that he's going to go back and visit again. And hopefully, and he'll be here too while he's here and, and, and looking for, for uh, people that are willing to, 
to uh, support the, the, a family or a child or whatever you can do. But anyway, he's going to go back to these congregations all over the U.S. and spend time there with, and, and uh, preach to them about what's going on there and how badly the, the, the help is needed. And hopefully they can get started in that place there. Plus, he's got, they got more property over in western Uganda where they want to build a mission there on this other land that they have and, and with, a, with a home and a church and a school there and start a new project there because... He had a picture there with all these kids that they had gathered up from around that neighborhood that didn't get to go to school. They, they, their clothes was bad. They didn't have, you know, they didn't have money for things and for food. And so they're just, they're uh, hoping to, to get, get people to, to uh, pick up on this and, and support what's going on that they can help these children. One of the hardest days we had in le was leaving our last day there. We we knew we were going to meet with our devotion group that morning, and we told Bill and Danny, well, instead of just bread and tea, let's fix them a real meal. So we had eggs and meat and, and uh, coffee cake and fruit and I don't know what Juice. else, juices and Plus all that. Plus their African tea. Yeah, they had to have their African tea. And we met with them, and they were just, we just had an awesome breakfast with them, and they, it was so hard to tell them goodbye. They all wanted pictures, and they just... You know, it was just lots of tears and uh, just very, very difficult because we had, those were our, our dearest friends right there with uh, that group of 10 to 12 people. And a lot of times some of the university kids would come and, and sit and visit with us. And, uh, you know, what, what touched our hearts the most, what, did, what we feel, what was the hardest to leave was our devotion group. And then they brought us each a gift. They brought those two bags that are handmade in Uganda. And, and uh, that was probably the toughest thing we had to do with me. As Olivia was eating, she says, meat. Yeah, they had real meat to eat. <laughs> Uh, but we did leave after a lot of tears when we left on the bus that afternoon, or Bill took us to the airport, they, they all came out and were saying goodbye, and it was, you know, that was the one thing that was hard to leave. What, what was the thing that impressed us? Not what we did, but what we learned from these people, what we got. That, you know, what's the thing that's going to count the most when we, when the Lord asks us? It's not... What did we build or, or what did we do, but did, what did you help these people with or how did they change your life? Actually, I think they changed our life completely because it's all from him that he gave us this opportunity to go there and, and uh, say his name to these people, these loving people. We had a very interesting experience at the airport. <laughs> Bill takes us up there, and well, Don was along, and some of the other people that wanted to come and see us off. Of course, they could only come as far as the front gate, and they had to turn us loose and let us let us go. Well, we went in, and this lady come over there, and I had already checked into the computer that 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 day before. So she looks at my number on her ticket, and she says, "Oh, you guys are already checked in." So I said, "Come on," she says, "You can come put your stuff through here." So. We put our put our, our canes and our back, our carry-on cases and our and our big suitcases that we had that we had to go on the in the belly of the plane and they went through there and when they come out the other side, well, she, she handed me the canes and our carry-on bags and we picked them up and then I took the big our big 50-pound bags and put them on the scales and then she shoved them onto the belt to go onto the plane and then he weighed our in our carry-on bags and everything was okay and 
So then he says, well, you need to go around over there toward the board the plane, and he says, you'll have to check in again. So we went around over there, and, and uh, we ate supper first because uh -huh. we hadn't had anything to eat yet when Bill took us there early, and the plane wasn't leaving until 1130. But anyway, well, we went over there, and then and uh, we decided we'd go check in. So we went up to the through the window that were the door that went through to get on the plane and they checked us in again they run our canes through and our bags through and and uh, the carry-on bags and everything was okay but that lady she picked up my, our cane and she says you know she says the the handle on that thing is loose and I said well I know that she's but but I think it'll come up come off and I said no I don't think so she's yes it will she pulls it in see this sword in there and oh because we had we had no idea that these these swords was in there and i said i said well well what what are you going to do I, she says, I figured here we're heading for jail I figured, she'd, I figured she'd call the police but she says no you go around to that guy over there that where you get your boarding pass and you you give him those canes and tell him to put them in the belly of the plane so I went around there, and he takes his things like they do on your package. You know, they put that big tape on there with the destination and all that stuff. And he wrapped one around each cane, and, and then he handed them back to me. He said, I don't think I can put them on the belt because I'm afraid something will happen to them. So he says, you take them back and give them back to that, that gal and, and tell her she has to take them. So I took them back, and I give them to her, and I told her, I says, well, he won't, he won't put them in the belly of the plane. He says, for you to do it. She says, Okay. So she takes them and lays them over there alongside of the wall, by the glass wall there, and just left them lay there. And uh, we were sitting there waiting for time to board. And pretty quick, I seen this young guy come walking in there, and he picks up our canes and takes off out to the, out to where the plane was. And and we didn't see him again till we got to Portland. And I was wondering, well, I wonder what happened to him. So we went and got our, checked all our bags out and. and got a cart and put them on there and I looked over there in the, in the middle of the place where you check in, get your pick up your baggage there was these two canes leaning up against a post so I just walked over there and picked them up and put them on her bag and away we went and no more problems but we were, we just knew when she pulled that out with that that sword in there that we were we were goners because we had no idea that they were there they have very little tolerance for crime in Uganda, and it's just only by the grace of God we didn't get hauled into jail. That would have been an interesting ending to our, our visit. Anyway, I guess that's all. I guess we just uh, so thankful we had that opportunity to make this journey. Uh, it was just got all of the Lord, all of his will that we go, because that was all a miracle in itself. And we're glad to be home. I was ready to come home. I was asked outside if, I, if we're ready to go back. If I was 20 years younger, I would go back to run you know, away. Bill keeps saying, keep telling Shad, yeah. you'll be back. You'll be back. <laughs> Frank but. celebrated his 75th birthday while we were there. And everybody was just, we sang with the kids, and they had ice cream, and we had a little party with them and the kids. And they were just in awe that he was 75 because... Very few people in Uganda reach 75. And they were amazed that we could still walk and talk and work. And <laughs> only by the grace of God it was, and the whole trip. The one that they, what they, they called us Jaja. That's the only yes. words that I know in Uganda is Jaja. We're the That's two Jajas. The two Jajas that they, they had there. We got some more pictures here that we no, need we to lay down. Put out. But anyway, if you want to look at, the, if you've got any questions, one of the things I was going to say, this little.
they sell eggs, and they sell sell uh, meat, they sell chickens, and they sell but they people that never ever tasted pork. They raised it. They never ever tasted it. But never didn't want to know what pork tasted like. That was a very interesting three months. Very thankful we got to go and thankful to be back home with you guys. We also got on went on a safari, but how much do you talk about, you know? To me, the most important thing was the dear people that we met, the ones we shared Jesus with, the kids we shared Jesus with. Uh, just, uh, yeah, I could, I'll be in tears here soon, too. So Unless you have some questions, I guess if you have questions. Glad to answer. getting late here, but I'm going to, uh, I'm just going to ask Tammy to come up and lead us in one song just to kind of close out. And uh, just want you guys, I hope you were as blessed by what they shared tonight as I was. I just thought that was fantastic. And, and uh, just would encourage you guys as, as we sing and close in this last song, just to open yourself up and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you tonight. Uh, even in this, even this night of being able to hear and share, uh, and and listen to some great stories, um, you never know what the Holy Spirit might be speaking uh, to one of you. And it sounds like there's going to be some opportunities uh, coming up to be able to serve and to help. Uh, so I would just encourage you to uh, to listen tonight and uh, and just be open to whatever the Holy Spirit might speak to you. So with that, Tammy, why don't you go ahead and close us out? You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.